Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church in Riverside, California. For more info about Hope City Church, visit www.hopecityriverside.org. Four chapters, but it's so rich. It's so rich. There's so many things in here that are just powerful, powerful. Uh, and so we're going to do, I think we're going to be about four weeks in this book. We're probably going to take about a chapter a week. I say about because um, who knows what's going to actually happen. Uh-huh. But that's the plan at least. And so if you would open to Jonah chapter 1. The interesting thing to me about um, the book of Jonah, so you have all these um, Old Testament prophets. And you're looking at these, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and, uh, you know, Ezekiel and all these all these. Um, all these Old Testament prophets. What's unique about Jonah? So all these Old Testament prophets, God sends these prophets to. Um, we're going to read scripture. We're going to pray in a second. But God, God sends prophets to the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So God has a people. God is calling out a people for his to be his own special possession. We see the scriptures always God calling a people unto Himself. Okay. Uh, and, and so what's interesting is that when the kingdom of Israel split into the northern and southern kingdom, a lot of these books you have in the Old Testament that we flip past, uh, they're, they're prophets that were sent to either the northern or the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the, the Jewish people, okay? What's distinct and interesting to me about the book of Jonah is that this is God sending a prophet to a non-Jewish nation, to a non-Jewish city, to a people who are not Jews, to a people who are Gentiles or, or non-Jewish people. So those who would have been thought to have been outside, right? Outside of the covenant. So think, uh, if, if we're going to put this in modern terms, we would put, oh, those inside the church and those outside the church. That's how we would think about that. So distinctly, this would be like God sending a prophet to those who are outside, Okay, that's what's distinct to me. One of the things that's distinct about the book of Jonah. Another thing, and we're going to look at this in week four, but another thing that's very distinct about the book of Jonah to me is that most other prophecies deal with God's, they kind of address God dealing with a nation. And so much in Jonah is, yes, God's dealing with a people, a, a nation, but he's also dealing with his prophet. Jonah is so much about what God is doing in Jonah, not just through Jonah. So it's a very important book to me because I think one of the things that we need to grab uh, in our hearts and our minds is that, yes, God wants to do a work through us to others and to reach others. He also wants to, during that, do a work in us. And sometimes God has to do a work in us so that we can affect it, so that he can effectively do a work through us. Does that make sense? And so, so much of that is happening in the book of Jonah. I think it's just a powerful uh, image for us and something for us to grab. There's so many beautiful themes of grace and redemption and repentance and all these beautiful things that we're going to see in the book of Jonah. And so um, it's interesting because when I talk about the book of Jonah, a lot of people might think like, oh, the kid story, right? Because it seems crazy. There's like these miraculous events like, oh, we think Jonah and the whale. We're going to talk about that. It's like, it's like a kid story. Like we think of, you know, old school church like flannel graph stories. And we, we don't always think of it as true. We don't always think of it. We don't bring it to ground level. Tangible. My life. Your life. How does this? This was a real person. This was a real story. This is not an allegory. This is not a thing that like was just a story that was told a wild story and we pull some morals out of it. This is an event that actually took place. And a lot of people say because the book contains such miraculous events, some commentators even believe that this prophecy should be read like 
like a metaphor, like an allegory, like something like that. But Jesus himself refers to Jonah's narrative as actual history. We're going to get to that later, but if you want to take notes, it's Matthew 12, 39 through 41, where Jesus addresses Jonah, and he addresses it as an actual event that took place, not as an allegory. And so let's read. Let's read actually the entire first chapter of Jonah, uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break it down, okay? Jonah chapter 1. We're reading 17 verses, so stick with me. Put your thinking caps on, okay? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Hoppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. <clears throat> so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days in three nights. Bom, bom, bom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray uh, that by your Holy Spirit, you will help us to hear what it is you want to speak to our heart tonight. That every one of us, um, collectively and individually, would hear what you are saying to us specifically. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would soften our rebellion if it's there. God, that you would calm our uh, arguments, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're speaking, and then give us hearts to obey, even radically, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 1, let's go back. Let's just break this down. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed, oh, sorry, hang on, that, that was verse, that's chapter 2. Okay, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Okay? Now, I'm not sure what this looked like. I don't know if this was an audible voice. I have never 
actually in my life ever heard the audible voice of God. If I did, I'd probably need to change the shorts, okay? Um, I've never, okay, I'm just being real. Okay, I've, I've never heard the audible voice. Of, I know people who have heard the audible voice of God. Credible people. They're not wacky. They're not weird. Like people who love Jesus, love his word, follow Jesus, and said, man, they've had a couple moments where they have heard, they believe wholeheartedly the audible voice of God. Okay? I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't know if this was the audible voice of God that came to Jonah. I don't know if this was a prophetic word that God gave him some other way or some direct revelation in his spirit that he just knew God was speaking. But it was clear that God had spoken to him. He was clear that God had spoken to him. And here's what I just want to pull out of real quick, because we're just going to take this up and we're just going to make direct application to our lives. God wants to speak to you. Amen. God wants to speak to you. I know, listen, I don't know how popular or unpopular this is. I really, I love you, but it doesn't matter to me how unpopular this is. I know a lot of people go, God's never spoken to me. I go, well, maybe you need to open your, your Bible, because God speaks. God speaks through his word. Oh, yeah. God speaks. God is faithful to speak every time I open up the word of God. Every time I open up the word, I go, well, I've never heard God speak. Well, I go, have you never opened the Bible? Because God will speak to you through his word. But, but what I want to get is that God wants to speak to you. Are we listening? Do we know that God has spoken? Are we even, do we even want God to speak? Or are we running for, are we afraid of what he might say? Are we not listening because we're afraid of what he might call us to do or how he might call us to obey? Are we not? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. One of the direct evidences that we are a child of God, one of his sheep, is that we hear his voice and we follow him. It's not just mental belief. It's I hear his voice, I have a relationship, I hear him, and I follow him when he speaks. Not, and, and listen, nobody in here is perfect in actions. It's just I hear his voice and I follow him. Now sometimes we're like Jonah, we're going to see what happens. But here's what God said to Jonah, okay? Verse 2. So God spoke, verse 2 says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Jonah was commanded to go and preach to Nineveh. He was commanded to go and preach a message to a people. Now, we, we go, hang on, time out, Jonah. Like, listen, you don't go preach a message, especially a hard message, to people you don't know. Like, you have to build a relationship first. Like, I'm all for relationship evangelism, Okay. I'm all for like getting to know somebody and earning a right to speak into their life. But let's just be very clear. Old and New Testament, God sometimes calls us to go and speak his word to people we don't know. Like, we want to get clever, and we want to find ways out of evangelism. We go, well, no, 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 you shouldn't say that to people, especially hard stuff, because, like, you got to build a relationship first and earn the right to say that. I, find that in here. That's a, that's a cute idea, but find it in here. I, I agree that in relationships, there's a powerful ability to witness to people, okay? Be, because as, as I get to know them, hopefully you're a nice person. Hopefully you love them. Hopefully you pray for them. Hopefully you serve them and you're there. So, so that when you speak, you know, they go, okay, I see a life that backs that up. But that doesn't mean we, if we had to build a personal relationship with everybody before we ever preached to them, we will never fulfill the Great Commission, It'd be impossible to preach the gospel in every nation to all people everywhere if first we have to build and develop and nurture a long-term personal close friendship. I just want to say, build friendships. I'm saying also, God might tell you, preach the gospel to that stranger. I know we don't like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
The deal is, let me just give you a few scriptures if you're taking notes. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to read it tonight at the end of service. We always do. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. John chapter 20, verse 21. These are all passages that we would call the Great Commission. God has sent us. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. You have been sent. I have been sent. Scripture says our home is in heaven. This is not even our home. It says our citizenship is in heaven. We are temporary residents here. That means, at the very least, that we are all short-term missionaries here. I'm just passing through here. I'm just passing through. I'm going to be in the presence of God for eternity. I'm here now. And, and I'm called and sent to preach the gospel. And you're called and sent to preach the gospel. So you may have never thought of yourself as a missionary, but you're a missionary. You are a sent one. You are one who has been sent with a message. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, you are a sent one. If you're not, you're the one we've been sent to. <laughs> The deal is we can't ignore it. It's everywhere. It's all over Scripture from beginning to end. God is a sending God, and we are a sent people. This is not about kind of setting up our thing and inviting the world to join us. That's good. Let's do that. And let's equip one another and spur one another on to get out of these walls and share the gospel to those who have never heard it. Okay? It's not just for some, a few hyperactive missionaries in the church. The question is not whether we've been sent, it's whether we're being obedient to our sending. That's, that's the question. So then it says this, arise, go to, verse 2, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Call out against, he had a message, a hard message. It wasn't like, go to Nineveh and tell them, pat them on the butt and tell them they're quite all right how they are. I don't, listen, I don't know about you. I know this is like, whatever. I need, when I'm in error, I need to be confronted lovingly. I need God to confront me lovingly. I need brothers and sisters who love me enough to look at me and go, bro, I think, humbly, I think you're out of line. Or I think you're in error here. It's the most loving thing that somebody could do for me, I think. If they're doing it in true humility and in true love, it's the most loving thing that somebody can do. And so sometimes God will give us that message. Sometimes God taps our shoulder and says, you go talk to them. I, I've had God tap other people's shoulder plenty of times and come to me. Plenty of times. And I thank God that they were obedient. I thank God that they were obedient to that. Because even at the time, and I'm telling you, I had times where I bucked it, where I was mad, where I was frustrated, where I was angry. Don't come at me like that. Who are you? Come in my life. Tell me da 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 And sure enough, the Holy Spirit just uses that and starts working on me and softening my heart. And I go, oh, I know they're right. I don't even like it, but I know they're right. It says, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is not unaware of the wickedness of man. God's not like, oh, I don't know what's happening down there. God never has this moment where he's like, oh, I didn't realize how bad. God knows. When we are walking in unrighteousness, God is well aware. God is well aware of our wickedness. 
He's well aware of our, so I'm not doing this to freak anybody out. I'm just saying sometimes we have this idea, we like all the good, positive, happy side of God. We like grace God. We like love, mercy, forgiveness God. We don't like the God that calls us on the carpet and says repent. We don't like that God. Let's be real. But if God is love, and he is, then he will call us to repentance when we're in error. For our good. For his glory. Just like I will tell my daughter, no, don't put the fork in the light socket. And she, eh, I want to, I finally stop, no, seventh time, and I smack her hand and take the fork, and she cries because dad's a jerk. You see what I'm saying? I have a perspective that she doesn't have, right? I have wisdom that she doesn't have. You see what I'm saying? So we go, God says no to us, and we go, God's a big meanie. And it's like, oh, like we're the kid, he's the parent, he knows better. If he says no, it's for our good. Amen. It's for our good. So listen, God's not blind, indifferent, or uncaring. about. We, we see the world, we look at it, I've been broken. I've been broken. I told somebody this the other day. Um, you just look at the world. I have just been wrecked. I have wept. I don't know any time I've wept more than I've wept lately. I, have, I look at the world. But here's what happened. God just said to me, like, what you see in the world, the brokenness you see in the world is just a macro picture of the brokenness in your own heart. We're all infected with it. <laughs> we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that we... That we are, we have a fundamental, like we have this broken sin nature. We go, no, I, I, I'm good. It, it infected everybody else, but not me. I'm not deceived. I'm not, I'm not in error. I'm not, it, it infected them, not me. It's, it's, listen, when we look at the brokenness of the world, yes, we should weep and lament and mourn, and it should also make us go, you know what, I'm capable of all of it. I'm just as capable of every brokenness I see in someone else. That, that potential is latent in my own heart if I am not submitted and yielded to God. So it's not a thing that we get to take this message and go out and start judging everybody else and hammer of judgment. You suck and you suck and you're awful and your sin's disgusting. And, da, 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 and then like we're good. God may call us to speak a hard word, but man, we better always do that in humility, knowing that, man, I, I need it too. We better always do that in humility, knowing, like Paul would say, I'm the chief sinner amongst you. Yeah, I call you out, but I don't call you out like someone who's above you. I call you out like a fellow, like I'm, I'm, I'm one beggar showing another beggar, beggar where to find bread, you know? I'm one sick person showing another patient where to go find healing. So let's be careful that we don't run with something like this and go just start pronouncing judgment on everyone else. Let's examine our own hearts first. Okay? We're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. That may be a news flash, like for some of us, like, but we have never been given the ministry of condemnation. Okay? No one has the ministry of criticism. Many people have taken that up as their ministry, but, but God has not given you the ministry of criticism and condemnation. But this also doesn't mean that we just shrug at wickedness or turn a blind eye to injustice, that we can't call sin a sin, that we can't be honest, that we can't look at the word and go, it's, that's clear, and let's talk about it in love, in humility. 
doesn't mean we pretend like evil doesn't exist. Because I'm jacked up, I can never say anything. No. Humility and love, but man, we got to speak the truth. I need to speak it and I need to hear it simultaneously. So, let me just say this one more thing. We go, don't judge. Scripture says don't judge. Yes, okay? Scripture tells us all over the place to make right judgments. Judge not, lest you be judged. That's Matthew 7, right? Later in the same chapter, Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. Wait, we're supposed to judge people's fruit? We're supposed to make a righteous judgment on what fruit we see in people's lives? Listen, there is a righteous judgment. He says, what what business is mine to judge those who are outside? Paul writes. But he's like, of course we make judgments about those who are in the church. Of course there's judgments that we make. Righteous, he says, judge rightly. Make righteous judgments, not self-righteous judgments like you're better. It says make right judgments within the church. So this whole, like, I can never judge, never, no, that's, read the whole Bible. So let me give you some background. Listen, Nineveh, uh, Nineveh was, their wickedness, it says, their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness was well known to everyone. Let me, let me just give you a little bit of background, okay? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, okay? Um, as far as we know, it doesn't exist anymore. But during this period of time, Assyria was the dominant world power. Okay? Uh, they were greatly feared by most of the people in the Middle East. Okay? So Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria is like the dominant world power feared by most of the people in the Middle East. Why? Because they were a brutal and barbaric people. They were known as looters. They built their estates and made their living by invading other lands and robbing them of all that they had. The name Assyria was synonymous with cruelty and atrocity. They were terrorists in the highest regard. They skinned prisoners alive. They cut off body parts. They pulled out people's tongues and drove a stake through them. They displayed the skulls of their victims so everybody could see. They took people out to the desert, buried them up to their neck, and left them to die. They practiced witchcraft. They worshipped idols, and they forced people into prostitution. They tied people up and made them listen to country music. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. If you're a country music fan, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that wasn't fair. I'm sorry. Uh, I actually like some country, okay. I have to admit. Uh, but here's the deal. They were brutal. They were barbaric. It wasn't uncommon for entire villages to commit suicide just because they heard that the Assyrians were coming for them. They would rather take their own lives than experience whatever the Assyrians were going to do to them. Okay? Over time, the Israelites, Jonah's people, had been the victim of the Assyrians over and over and over again. Uh, is the picture starting to come into your mind? Jonah and his people have been victims of this brutal and barbaric people. They were Israel's number one enemy, and so Israel harbored a deep hostility against the Assyrians, and Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. These were the people God was calling Jonah to go preach to, those he had the most reason to hate. I'm going to let that sit for a second. Jonah was called 
to preach this message to the people he had the most reason to hate. And luck of all luck, he was commanded to preach against them. What did he do? Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Hoppe and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You, so after all that we just learned, like you might think that Jonah just got the dream gig. If he's going to satisfy as the just the anger, the hatred in his own heart. Oh, God just gave him the dream gig. These people, I hate him. God says, go preach against them. You'd think he would hop on the first camel <laughs> to Nineveh. The problem was Jonah was intimate with God, and he understood something about the heart of God. He knew and we're going to see this later, he knew that God longed to show them mercy. And Jonah didn't want that. Jonah didn't want those people to receive grace. Jonah didn't want those wicked, evil, barbaric outsiders to experience mercy. He didn't want them to repent. He probably wanted them to receive judgment. Think about it. If he actually thought that God was going to destroy them, he probably would have found the fastest way there, popped some popcorn, and enjoyed his front row seat to their destruction. Don't you think? He ran because he expected that God would be gracious and merciful to them if they repented. And he had a good suspicion that they just might repent. He didn't want that. Let me show you real quick. Do we have the map on there? Is there a map? Okay, so there's Hoppe. You see at the bottom, right? I just want to give you a visual. He was called to go to Nineveh. Look where he went. Right? He's like exact opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. I just wanted you to have this visual. Like he's there. God's like, go to Nineveh. He's like, no, bump that. You're going to show him grace. I'm going to hop on a ship. I'm out here on my way to Tarshish, right? Like I, no, I don't even want to go 550 miles in the direction you told me to be obedient. I'd rather go 200 Sorry, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to be disobedient. Sometimes we'll go farther in our disobedience than we would for obedience to God. Sometimes we'll work harder to disobey than we will to obey the call of God. Why is that? Why are we so persistent? Some, I heard somebody say, man, they're like, I was a heroin addict, I was this, I was that. I served the devil wholeheartedly. Why would I serve God any less? When I got saved, why would I serve God with any less fervor than when I served the enemy? Why, do we, why would we work harder to disobey God than we would to obey him? It's madness, but I just wanted you to see this. Like, he's like, no, 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 I'm not going that way. I'm going this other way. So he hops on a ship. And I love in verse 3, it says, away from the presence of the Lord. To go away from the presence of... Now, I know we shared this a couple weeks ago, but let's read it again. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 12. I just want to see, like, is that even possible? Is it even possible to find the place where God isn't? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... 
Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness isn't dark to you, God. The night is bright as a day for the darkness is as light with you. He's saying there's nowhere I can go to escape the presence of God. And that's true for you and I. You're never anywhere where God isn't. You're never anywhere where God is not present. And I know we said this a few weeks ago too, but when we think in terms of missionary stuff, like going in our city or even internationally, like we're not bringing Jesus anywhere. We think, I'm going to bring Jesus to these people. Where, where, do, where do we, like I put him in my pocket and bring him somewhere? Like they don't have, like he's not present there. I'm going to bring him there. He's there. Evangelism is so much about helping people discover the God who's already present where they're at. He's already here. He's amongst you. How many times does it say in the gospel, it says Jesus was amongst, amongst you, but you didn't know him. He was here, but you didn't see him. That's what it is. God is present. There's nowhere we can go. Listen, if you're running from God, if you have been running from God, it's not possible. It's possible to disobey God, but God is pre- You're never going to get away from him. He's always there. Always present. Calling you. Calling you in love, maybe calling you to repentance, calling you to know your love and grace, calling you to know your identity and whatever he is, however he's working, but he's there, he's present, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to draw you. This should both challenge us and comfort us. God is present all the time. That comforts me and that challenges me. God is present in my worst moments. That is both a challenge and a comfort. Verse 4. So he's running from God. Because if that's possible, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Sometimes I think God only gets our attention in a storm. I've had those moments in my life where I know God was trying to speak to me. And I just, I was running. I was Jonah status, you know? And, and, a, and the storm hits, whatever that is. I don't want to be too whatever metaphorical, but it just happens. I, I think sometimes, again, the most loving thing that God can do when I'm running from him is to hurl a storm at me. I just, I honestly, I don't know what your theology is, but that's where I'm at. I think that sometimes the most loving thing God can do is hurl a storm in my direction to stage some kind of intervention in my life, to arrest my heart, to grab my attention. It it doesn't say then a storm happened. It says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It didn't say, and just so happened that the weather elements worked out just that way. It says God hurled a storm upon the sea. Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the church. He's on the road to Damascus. What happens? What happens? Acts 9. Blinding light from heaven, God smacks him off his donkey. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that God smacked him anywhere. It says this blinding light from heaven, this intervention from God, he falls off. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Little, I know I said this before too, but little sidebar. Um, Saul was persecuting the church. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Let's be very careful how we speak about the church. Let's be very careful how we speak about the church. It's very popular to be a critic. I've been it. I've been one. 
Let's be very careful. But what, what did God do with Saul? Ah, intervention time. Hurled a, a different kind of storm at him. Listen, uh, I, I just think we can all agree at least that if Jonah had obeyed God, he would have avoided this storm. You with me? I think the same is true for us. Sometimes if we would just obey God when he speaks, we can avoid some storms in life. Okay? Whatever your theology, if we'll obey, we'll avoid some storms. That's just real talk. Either way, here it is. He's on a ship at sea in a storm. And this is not a baby storm either. It says the ship was about to break up. Okay? The ship, this is not a little baby storm. You ever seen like the deadliest catch? Anybody ever watch that show? No, like the goose are like crab hunting and they have, like you ever, have you ever been at, in, on the ocean in a boat or something in a ship and it was like, and a crazy storm hit? Like I went to Catalina one time on just that little ferry and it was like crazy storm and it was like doing this deal. Like wind was, or waves are coming up over the deal. Like it was a tall, and I was like freaked out. I'm holding on the rail and it's doing this. And at one point it jerked me so hard, like the rail smacked my mouth and I'm like bleeding. I was freaking out. I was like, I'm like, I know, it was like 27 miles across the sea, whatever the little song is like, it's supposed to be all peaceful, and only 27 miles, I can't swim 27 miles. This was the ocean, I was freaked out. There's sharks in 27 miles, okay? I was freaking out. Like this was no, this is not a baby storm, okay? This was a storm, a big storm. Look at verse five, it says, then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid. They were, they were afraid. That is the experienced Sailors were afraid, were terrified. That's like, that's like an MMA fighter scared of a street fight. Like, like an MMA fighter seeing a street fight and going, ooh, this one's bad. Or, okay, let me put it better. It's like being on a plane and the flight attendant's terrified of the turbulence. Have you ever had that happen? Like I, was on, like, I was on a flight coming from Austin, Texas, back to the U.S. in 2012. You remember this? Pastor Don was on that flight with me. We were on that flight, and I swear the turbulence hit so hard one time, it was like the hand of God came and just smacked the plane. It was, I like, it must have dropped, like, it felt like 10,000 feet. I was like, freaking out. And the, and the flight attendants were like, man, they're good. They're just doing their thing. They weren't even freaked out. Now imagine how I would have just gone, like, nuts if the flight attendants were like, and started scrambling. You with me? If they started scrambling, I, I, I'd, have, I'd have died, I think, just of fear, okay? So, I don't sound very, like, tough, okay? I get it. It's truth. I'm just being honest, okay? So, they're on a ship, the storm hits, and the sailors are freaking out. This is a storm, okay? And each cried out to his God, it says in verse 5. Isn't that funny? It's been said there's no atheist in a foxhole, I don't know how many times in my life I was not serving God, but then I, th I had moments where I thought I was going to die. Something happened, car, like almost near car accident, or this is really embarrassing to admit, especially my grandparents here, but one time I got so high I thought I was going to overdose. Sorry, I never did that. That's a joke. I'm lying. <laughs> God has redeemed me. Uh, uh, but... And I, so here's what happens. I've had these moments where I thought I was going to die. And what, do I, what did I do? I just started praying. I'm like, God, get me out of this one. Like this one time. Like, right? There's no atheist in a foxhole. You think you're going to die. It's like all of a sudden you're real spiritual. <laughs> but I did this too. This is really dumb. And I should be like, I also would do this thing. Like I believed in Jesus. I did. Now I wouldn't do this. But like I, I always heard the gospel grow. I did that. I'd pray to Jesus first. And then I'd go, but if I'm wrong, 
Buddha. <laughs> so they're all crying out to their God. Because back in the day, they, they had a God for this and a God for that, God for the hills and a God for the valley and a God for the sea and a God for the land. And somebody's here bound to have the God of the sea. Everybody just pray to your God. Somebody. And they hurled the cargo, verse 5, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. This is what you do when crisis hits, isn't it? You start lightening the load. You take stock, reevaluate what's really important, and you cut the dead weight. Isn't that what happens when storms of life hit? When you get the diagnosis that you feared? When crisis comes? When you lose somebody that you love? When the storms hit, all of a sudden, all the stuff that you thought was so important, you go, oh, that's dead weight. I can cut that. I don't need to stress that. I don't need to worry about that. This is what matters. God, my family, whatever. You just get real clear in those moments about what matters to you. Wayne Cordero, a pastor in uh, Hawaii, poor guy, <laughs> he said... If you only had one month to live, you'd be surprised at all the things that didn't really matter anymore. Think about it. What drama is going on in your life that if you actually knew you only had one month to live, all of a sudden, you'll find a way to forgive. All of a sudden, you'll find a way to be on fire for God. All of a sudden, you'll... How many things wouldn't matter anymore that matter so much to you right now? Verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. <laughs> Isn't that just how it works? Like the dude that got us in all this mess is sleeping through it. Isn't that true? How many of you have been Jonah? Like I've been Jonah. I'm the one that caused the mess that everyone else is suffering and struggling when I'm making bad and I'm rebelling and I'm doing these things and it's hurting all these other people around me and I'm like sleeping through it. And they're coming to me and I'm like, ah, oh, uh, uh, out of my face with that. And I'm just sleeping, I'm coasting through it. Life's a breeze. The person who caused the crisis is just fast asleep. The point in this is that sometimes others are going to feel the impact of our disobedience even more than we do. Sometimes before we do. When I run from God, it always impacts other people. When I disobey God in any way, even the smallest way, it always impacts somebody. We go, oh, I'm going to sin in ways that don't hurt other people. Not possible. Not possible. If it's a sin of any kind. You know why it hurts other people? Because you're not fully being the person God created you to be and having the impact that you're supposed to have in somebody else's life. It hurts People, when you are not the person God created you to be, when you are not, when I'm not, let's put it on me, when I'm not walking in complete obedience to God, it hurts other people. Even if it doesn't directly hurt them, it indirectly hurts them by me not being the person in their life God has called me to be. Our actions never impact us alone. They always impact others. Your decision to obey or run from God's calling on your life will and does impact others. <clears throat> okay. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that in this 
short time that we've had together, I pray, God, that you have spoken something to all of us, to our hearts, something for us to grab, God, something for us to get a hold of that, God, if we've been running in any way, and God, we all do, we all do in different ways. Father, I pray that you would arrest our hearts. God, I don't want to pray for storms. I'm not asking, but I just pray that you would do whatever it takes to get a hold of our hearts, to turn us back from the direction we're going if it's not in your will, Father. I pray for everyone here, God, that we would see you and hear you and obey you and be the people you have created and called us to be, God. That we would not walk for a second in condemnation, but that we would absolutely hear and respond to your conviction in our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us in love and draw us to repentance in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.